0: Another edition of the Behind the You podcast and a familiar face, a recognizable name, someone I've known for quite a while, Gino Toretta, Heisman Trophy winner, joining us to tell his story. Gino, thank you. How are you doing, Josh? Well, we're doing great. We're doing great. We're zooming, dude. We
1: are. We're zooming. We're, uh, we're, we're, we're adjusting. <laughs> no, but, any, but
0: I kind of feel like anything goes now, right? You know, the dog might meander in or, you know, someone might knock on the door. Just sort of the professionalism has, has taken a bit of a drop and, and it's been more accepted. We don't have to worry about certain
1: things anymore. Well, I would say certain industries have been made more difficult. Others have been made easier. I would probably argue that there are plenty of radio hosts that were able to do their shows now from their houses and not have to commute. It probably made it a lot easier for them to do, to do their shows and and continue to do their shows. So uh, I guess there's that the, you, you try to find good in, in in everything. So I guess with technology and the invention of Zoom and other things, we can uh, we can do this and not have to figure out how to. Uh, I don't know. Plug in a Comrex or meet over at the hex center and, and do the interview, right?
0: Yeah. Well, look at you. You look like you're very comfortable. I'm stashed away in my room, away from my kids who are in virtual school. You're like lounging on the couch.
1: Oh, i mean, yeah. I'm just in another room. My daughter's downstairs at, at home from school, so she wants me as far away as, for, as possible because I talk loud. Yeah. So. I say
0: I just told my boys I'm I'm going away for an hour. You're not going to see me. But part of me's but part of me's always thinking we're in the business of projecting, right? You know, like. I can't just be out in the living room. I've got, you know, their doors are closed. My doors are closed. I'm just hoping for the best. <laughs> Trials and
1: tribulations of audio. Yeah,
0: but we, get, we can still do it. So, hey, yep. you know, it's okay. All right, buddy, let's start here. Are you on Cain in part because your brother was a cane? Meaning, if your brother doesn't come to Miami, do you think you even end up here? To be honest, when I was, you
1: know, I can remember Jeff came here in 85. So I was, um, I would have been a sophomore in, in high school. You know, I came to uh, football camp here in 1985 in the summer, and uh, that kind of that was my first dose of heat and, and humidity. You know, obviously, it's a long way from California. I enjoyed it. God, I was in camp with Coach Salinger's kids and, you know, Jimmy's staff, and we had a great time. I stayed in the, I stayed in the football dorms, you know, while I was here for a week, and my brother took care of me. Um, as they were in summer summer workouts and stuff. And then um, I can remember bef- before my senior year, you know, the coaches, Gary Stevens was close to my brother and, and family. And he was like, you know, you should go to a football camp. You know, back when recruiting, th- there wasn't all the videos. I mean, you couldn't get the exposure nationwide that these kids get. It was who saw you personally could vouch for you. And hey, that's where you go, especially coaching staff. So, you know, Coach Stevens was like, you know, you ought to go to a school you know, if you can football camp where you really want to go to that school. So I uh, really wanted to go to Stanford because I knew what their their degree was worth. Their education was worth. I was um, not even 170 pounds before my senior year. And, you know, you, you don't know, I mean, how much more you're going to grow, how much bigger you're going to be. And, and, you know, I knew the education was always going to be there. So I went to Stanford football camp before my senior year. And uh, God, I can still remember going to camp, and uh, Coach Martinez, which coached at San Mateo Community College, which had I think just put three guys in Division One, like Sal Janilla, Pitt. I mean, like they were pumping out from the JUCOs to the national schools, where they knew these guys were ready to play. And we're in the middle of practice one day, and he he stops and he goes, "All right, we have to watch this kid run these reps." And I'm like, who's this kid? Like, I didn't even know recruiting. Like, right. it, was, it was a foreign concept to me of, like, who's this guy? I just know the group of guys that I'm competing against in my quarterback group. So we all stop and watch. And and he starts critiquing, you know, this quarterback. And I'm like, sitting there, I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, nothing special whatever. And he goes, well, that guy's the number one recruit in the country. And he can go wherever he wants. And I'm I'm like, really? Why? Who? How? You know what I mean? I, I didn't know. I never even... And it was Todd Murnovich in oh California and, and Stanford was kowtowing to Todd Murnovich. I mean, they he had the number seven Jersey trying to be like Elway. His dad was there. Like we're all staying, all the rest of us were staying on campus. You know, we're in dorms. It was great. It was a great week of uh, two weeks of, uh, of football camp. His dad would take him from the end of practice. He would go eat his special meal, and then he would be back for the second practice and all this, that, and the other. So that was that was my introduction into recruiting. But after the my high school season, you know, Miami recruited me. I mean, you know, Coach Stevens and Coach Johnson were like, "Listen, you're good enough to play here. We know that." You know, Coach Stevens told me in a recruiting process, "Don't come here. If you come here, we're going to redshirt Craig Erickson." when with Steve Walsh here, so Craig can start two years. So at most, you're going to start one if you come here. I was like, okay, you know, and then Cal recruited me, Washington State, Coach Erickson recruited me to go to Washington State, Washington, and Stanford, basically, who had sent me the most correspondence, you know, the most form letters, you think that's a big deal, you know, but it's really not a big deal that, that there's form letters. Like, at least now I kind of look back as like... The
0: lady in the office was sending you mail, Gino. Yeah, nobody's <laughs> nobody's
1: nobody's even signing these things or whatever. You're just a name
0: and, on a list. They're like, just send it out. It's, send it it's out. ten cents. Yeah.
1: And the like at the start of recruiting, like the coaches were coming into the school and offering guys visits. And Stanford just like, no communication. No, you're not good enough to play here. And I was just like, Wow, man, how why well why would you wait? You know, they're a waste of whatever. So uh, you know, when I, I was going through the process, I took my visit to Washington. Uh, went up to Washington state to with coach Erickson and then went to Miami. And, and when I went to Washington state was phenomenal. I mean, you, you know, you learn coach Erickson's offense. You're like, man, this is three, four wides. I'm going to throw the heck out of the ball, but it was snowing. And I was like, man, I've never even played in the rain in California, let alone the snow. That was kind of my first thing. And then, uh, you know, when I came on my visit to Miami, it was Steve Walsh hosted me. Cause he, you know, my brother had hosted him and, I was like, literally, I was just like, man, I don't care if I play a down. I mean, yeah, you do as a competitor. Hey, I hope I can play here. But I'm like, why would I not come here and have a chance to win a national championship? You know what I mean? It was January before February. You know, it's 80 degrees. It's gorgeous. It's Miami. You know, it's Miami. It's Miami. And I'm like, I, you know, Coach Erickson on next day before we left town, before I flew back to California, he's like, well, what do you think? And I was like. I want to come. And he goes, great. And I shook his hand and walked out of the door. I was like, I mean, best decision I made. Because I was like, I just wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to win. I mean, when Daniel Stubbs told me on my visit, come here and win with us or go somewhere else and get beat by us. I mean, just the confidence that was in the program and the and the competition in the program amongst players. I was like, I just wanted to be a part of that. Because, you you know, in the NFL, it's like you judge guys whether they win a uh, Super Bowl or not and to have that opportunity to go, to have a chance to win a national championship and, and multiple national championships was, was the reason I came, whether that was probably because Jeff opened the door and came here and they knew me, you know what I mean? Right. They had seen me. Um, and it's, you know, I was, I was 17 when I got to college, you know, I wasn't Trevor Lawrence, 19 years old, getting to college or Barkley or some of these guys, they were getting to college two years later than I was. And I, I think a lot of the recruiting process changes i mean you you know at 17 you're a little different than 19 you know i I went from 175 pounds to 205 by the end of the year now it wasn't good weight it was probably dominoes and and some cold beverages at night but you know your body changes strength and, and and that so uh it was uh, it was a great transformation and a you know the foray into into college football in year one.
0: Well, let me ask you this: to your brother, right? Your he's there. He's hosted Walsh. Knows the offense. How close were you guys? And the reason why I ask is so he's he's ahead of you by two years or three years, right? So like, uh, no, he was he's six. He's
1: six ahead of me. So he graduated '86 college wise, and I I graduated high school in '88. So he. He was just leaving, as you know what I mean. I I, I came in a year or two after. All he, right. So,
0: but regardless, like, what's he telling you? You're getting like the inside dirt, right, on Jimmy, on those guys, on like, you know, what the program's like.
1: I would say this, and and it wasn't even. It wasn't. I, I never really asked him like, what was the program like? What was what was this? I mm-hmm. simply asked him you know, I can remember, I was like, listen, you, you went to Miami, you backed up Vinny, you start the last game of your career. You, you know, your top five in school passing is, you know, in one start. And I go, and you know, that's the only start I go, would you do it all over again? Like, would you want go somewhere else to play more without hesitation? He goes, I would go to the same place. He goes, I would, I would go there all over again. And I knew how competitive he was. And to say, Hey, I would go there for one game. Was like I was like wow that was big and that was kind of one. Coach Stevens told me was like you know you're gonna play one year here and I you know my thought was I went into his office and looked on the wall and there's five Sports Illustrateds in a row with every quarterback from UM each year was a UM guy and I was like dude give me one year and I'm on the cover we're good I'm <laughs> I'm like I, I I'm game I'm game for five years in in, in Miami and uh, and starting one of them and. Obviously it turned out different than that, but I just, I I wanted to win. I mean, it was, it was as simple as that. I mean, and you know, and I knew that what coach Johnson had already built. I mean, it was easy for me to say, Hey, I want to go to Miami when, you know, you're coming on a ticker tape parade weekend saying, hell, they're winning the title every year. You know, what did you know about Miami growing up? that you were so far away from it? So Northern California, the football was the Oakland Raiders and the San Francisco 49ers. Right. And the 49ers sucked and the Raiders won the title in 81 and I was 11. So it was pro football. Cal wasn't very good. Stanford wasn't very good. You know, the Pac-12 was USC and UCLA. That was Those were the, the big boys of the conference. So the first thing I really remember of college football was the flutie Cozar game. I mean, I I remember Thanksgiving weekend, being in Tahoe, you know, snow skiing, riding motorcycles in the snow and stuff like that and coming in. And it was just like, wow, it was, you know, you couldn't keep your eyes off the thing. I mean, I I played football. I love football. But college football wasn't, you know what I mean? It was, I, I don't know. There was a disconnect as a kid. I just thought, okay, you play in high school, you go to college and, you know, you go to work and, you know, there was a gap. There of what happens, these guys from high school to the pros. And so it wasn't as big as it is now. And I and I still remember probably when I got here, I had never been in the Orange Bowl before my first game in the Orange Bowl. So my idea of college football game, Cal games, you could go in and you could walk in for free. I mean, you spend two, three bucks and just walk into the stadium. Stanford was kind of the same thing. No, nobody went to the games. And Florida State, September 3 of 88, they had Deion Sanders. They had a video. I ran out that smoke and seeing you know eighty thousand screaming fans and I was like holy bleep I you know what I mean I didn't know what I got myself into because even being a being a, in a Miami jersey you hear yelling and screaming you're like hey dude I'm 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 the, <laughs> for the whole team you know <laughs> and it's it it was very intimidating but I was like wow this is awesome I mean this is you know what I mean and obviously that's just you running out
0: know, as a freshman not playing not starting that's just you being on the team
1: that's just me being on the team first time i'd been in the stadium and running out through that smoke and was just in pure awe of the power the energy of college football and and especially miami hurricane football then change the trajectory of your career or find your new passion both are possible at the university of miami's division of continuing and international education the division offers over 50 courses with online and hybrid options for on-the-go professionals and busy parents. Visit Miami.edu DCIE to learn more or call our enrollment advisors at 305-284-4000
0: to discover which course is right for you. Do you remember your first start?
1: I would technically say my first start was my first major action was we went to Michigan State in 89. They were top 10 in the country. We were top three, I think, maybe two. And we're going on the road. Michigan State had Percy Snow. They had a bunch of dudes. Car uh, Carlos Jenkins from down here. Played with the Vikings with a bunch of years. Great defense. Perlis Hall of Fame head coach. And Craig Erickson breaks his hand, I think, it was like middle of the first quarter. So I didn't have a chance to throw up. I was like, where's my helmet? Um, and we're going in the game. One play? Yeah. You know, yeah, Craig, Craig couldn't go. I think, I think my first pass, I think I think I threw an interception to Carlos Jenkins, who was who was later my teammate with the Vikings. And I was like, how did he get that ball? And it, and it was like kind of the first reality of, okay, these guys are really good. And you see, okay, these this is the guy I can't pick on throwing the ball. This is what I'm gonna do. And kind of went out there and I had, you know, Wesley Carroll. I threw him a touchdown. We ended up winning the game. Where to kick some field goals. But I had no chance to be nervous. I mean, it was, it was me in the huddle looking at, you know, Mike Sully, uh, Garcia, Cristobal, and these dudes, and they were like, we got you. You just do what you're supposed to do, and we got you. And that's kind of you know they stepped up and and we ended up winning the game. So I didn't, I, I never got nervous. I mean, probably the only thing I did before a game, I made sure there was an ice cold can of Coca Cola, and I always had Coke. Maybe that settled in my stomach. I don't know. It's probably it's probably horrible for you to have a bunch of sugar right before you run out, but I always
0: did it. <laughs> You'd have to be like this day, you be like, hey, listen, just sneak it in under a towel. Don't show anybody, <laughs> okay? Now it's like mandated Probably. Gatorade at, at, at certain time intervals to ensure that, you know, you know, everything's going right. right.
1: right. Not always is it sugar it dehydrates right, you and exactly. all that other stuff. So
0: Maybe you knew something everyone else didn't know. Who knows? <laughs> Who knew? Did you have any uh, moment when you kind of get to campus, meets, and kind of just run into someone on the team and go, well, oh, wait a second, I, maybe I should have listened to Coach Stevens.
1: <laughs> well, Kevin Fagan was the first kind of UM player that I remember meeting. And that was the 85 Sugar Bowl, Tennessee. My brother was his roommate because Fagan's road roommate had like gotten married. So like, the, you know, they had the, wife, you know, the players got to bring their wives or whatever the bowl game. So Kevin Fagan was my brother's roommate. So he was the first person I shook hands with I would have been 14 years old. And I remember looking at like, holy crap, there's no way. <laughs> like, I don't want to play this game. I mean, his arms were bigger than my legs, you know? And then after the Fiesta Bowl, seeing, um, like meeting Jerome Brown. I mean, nicest guy in the world, but his size, speed, athleticism. I mean, you know, Highsmith, all these guys. You know, I met all these guys as a 15, 16-year-old kid. And I was just, I was scared to death. I mean, but probably when I got here, I don't know if it was ever that moment. I do know this. There was a guy on our team, and he was number 63, and he wore a black shade. And he was the only guy on our team that wore a black shade and running the scout team, so I had Hawkins at the end on one side, Greg Mark on the other, and they would always, like, they'd beat our guy, you know, they'd beat our tackle, and they'd be standing behind me, they would just tap me on the shoulder, mess with me, hit me in the side of the head as I was throwing the ball. But number 63, I never knew who he was at D-tackle, and I was like, man, who is this guy? I was scared to death that he was going to just destroy me in the pocket and then, like, I don't I, for whatever reason for a while, and it was Jimmy Jones, one of the nicest guys <laughs> in the world, greatest teammate. But I was scared to death because I was like, "Who's sixty three? That's an old lineman number." You know what I mean? And he's just one of these gigantic dudes. I'm like. You know because I was like, man, I I had a little deal with Hawkins and Greg. I'm like, listen, I'm not gonna try to scramble. I won't try to make you guys look bad. You just don't destroy me in the pocket, <laughs> you know, on the scout team, because they didn't care if you got a hit on the scout team. So so Jimmy Jones, I guess, was my uh my guy for for a, a good spell of who the hell is sixty three? I
0: hope he doesn't kill me. <laughs> hey, so as a freshman, did you travel? No. did not travel.
1: It was a redshirt year. And uh, you know what? I'm glad. I I mean, I'm glad I didn't because I had some great times. I mean, you got weekends off and and that was your only time off was was away games because home games you were – practice in then Sunday practice and that. So, uh, no, I did I did not travel. I stayed, stayed at home.
0: So, I assume you watch Michigan, you watch Notre Dame. You, you watch them from afar, I imagine. Yes, watch Michigan.
1: I, I remember Michigan being at Palm Beach one of my roommates' house, and we were watching it and being just – at the start of the fourth quarter we weren't going to win a national championship because we were losing to michigan because we knew we weren't in the conference back then you had no opportunity right. to get in the playoff you had no conference championship it was you know we had to win them all and then we we had kind of ordered pizzas <laughs> and we were you know probably drowning our sorrows in a cold beer and and then, then we came back and we were all going crazy we're like we're gonna win a title heck yeah our first year we're getting the ring <laughs> so and then i remember notre dame You know, still to this day, over and over, watching that film with Gary Stevens after and going, how is this a fumble? You know, one guy says it's a fumble. The other guy says we turn it over on downs, and in Cleveland, Gary's gaining seven yards on fourth and four, and he's diving for the end zone. I mean, it was just
0: terrible, terrible, uh, terrible game. It's funny how uh, all of us that are somehow connected to the program or a fan or been involved in it, Jimmy's been on it, the losses still stick out. Well, we
1: did. I mean, hell, we only had five when I was there in five years. That's the only ones you remember. You, you, you were expected
0: to win. <laughs> I know, but they're so, you know, the Fiesta Bowl wants it back right Notre Dame want it back you probably want Alabama back to finish it you know back to back right they just stick out because they're right they're few and far between and they were on such giant stages
1: well and and think about it I I mean every stage is giant now every week but back then it was man Miami you can only have like four or five games on national tv and we were on four or five times a year and it was like Who are these new guys? You know, they just won a championship in 83, 87. You know, this is like new kids on the block. Their school's 50 years younger than Michigan and Notre Dame. And uh, you got a bunch of guys that are out there dancing. And, and uh, you know, so I guess that's where the love to hate them kind of uh, kind of started from.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned before, uh, and I was actually curious about this, if you had known Dennis, but you did know Dennis because he recruited you. So you were you were you, I guess, even had a relationship with him, right? At some way, you said you were learned his offense and everything. Oh, I was
1: I was. Yeah, I was I was close to uh, to commit in the Washington State. But I, like I said, it was snowing, Josh. I, I mean, snow's not good for quarterbacks,
0: especially guys from California. Well, the reason why I ask is that so when he gets hired, are you, you must—I am mean, probably most people had no idea who. Right? The exact opposite—you don't know anything about college football being in the up north, Northern California. Now this guy from Northern California comes to be the head coach, and obviously, information does not travel the way it travels today. But you were probably like, "Damn, this actually be good. This is going to end up pretty good for me." So here's kind of where, where I was with that—is you know when
1: obviously you know, Jimmy decides to leave is, you know, it's disappointing. And, you know, everybody's shocked. You're like, man, this is, you know, okay, it's change. And, you know, you're always afraid of the change. So when, when Sam had gone through the process and hired uh, Dennis, you know, players like, you know, everybody's like, well, I'm transferred. Like at first everybody's like, well, I'm anti who's ever coming in. I don't know who this guy is. Right. So Lamar Thomas and I came in together and Lamar Thomas at that point was booed at his high school graduation because he was from Gainesville and they wanted to go to Florida. And he was like, no, I'm going to Miami to win a national championship. I'm not staying home. And so Lamar, I'm sitting with him and it was, you know, after they announced Dennis was coming in and he's like, I'm leaving. I go, what do you mean you're leaving? He goes, I'm going to transfer. I'm going to go back to Florida. Now this is before social media. I think if with social media, it probably has, uh, precipitated more guys transferring when there's coaching changes because I mean, I didn't keep in touch with coach Arnold who recruited me to Washington state, but I knew who all these guys were that just got hired. So I remember sitting there with Lamar over in building 36 in the dorms. I said, Lamar, I said, you know, it's your decision. You're, you're a big boy. I said, but I'm just going to tell you this. I said, coach Erickson. I sat and watched film with him. I go, he runs three wide receivers on the field at all times, sometimes four, sometimes five. And I go, if you're going to tell me you're not one of the five best receivers on this team, then go ahead, transfer to Florida. And I just left it at that. And he was, you know, he kind of came back. He was like, what do you mean? I go, their offense is three wides every down coming from Jimmy Johnson, which was two backs, two wides at most three wides. So I, I, I don't know. I, I helped convince Lamar basically to stake because he wasn't even going to give, you know, give it a, give it a chance. I mean, cause guys were thinking, okay, I can transfer before second semester. I can
0: get a spring ball in and learn an off, a new offense and, and go somewhere else in school. So, you know, and he'll tell you that. He absolutely told me that he basically said, you said, Hey, stupid, Do you know what kind of offense they run? Go you know, make up. But your there money. was,
1: I mean, think about just the one back offense that basically is what everybody's running now with a RPO option. We didn't, we didn't run the 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 run pass option. It had never been seen east of the Mississippi. I mean, I'd say it's never been seen out of the Pac-12. People didn't run it because you had this kind of old school that, oh, that'll never survive. You'll never be able to win with one back. And then all of a sudden, it was like a perfect storm of, Coach E comes to Miami you had all this speed and now all of a sudden there's more speed on the field with that offense. I mean, teams didn't know, they, you know, they didn't know how to adjust. They would try to, you know, they would try to blitz us quickly and try to get to the quarterback and it didn't matter what they did. Right. We had an answer. Our formations would dictate what the defenses could do and they knew they couldn't disguise and all this other stuff. And, and uh, you know, we obviously, you know, heck, what was he, 63 and nine or something when he was here.
0: So it was a pretty good role. Uh, let me ask you this. Obviously, you've kind of hinted at it, but did you, when you first, you know, kind of started going through, you know, really going through installs, and I think you've read, you've mentioned somewhere he was your quarterback coach. So what kind of appreciation did you have for his offensive mind? I always say this, that coaching
1: a quarterback is obviously it's the most, one of the most, if not the most important position on the field. But when the guys that's coaching your quarterbacks has actually put his hands on their center and had to make those decisions. Now, obviously it was a long time before, but coaching he, he played the position. And I think that helps because to me, you know, when you, when you're coaching the quarterback position, the person that's out there on the field have to be has to be comfortable running the plays that they're given. And if they're not comfortable, the plays doomed from the start. And what I mean by that is the more experience you have as a quarterback. And, and your relationship with your coach, you can draw up a play and it could look perfect on the board, and you're like, man, that looks great. And the more experience I got, I'm like, coach, I know that looks great. I'm not comfortable running that play. For whatever reason, I can't get a good vision. I can't anticipate it enough, and I'm like, I don't like it. And we would we would scrap it. And I'd probably say going to – when we started the season in 89 – you know, obviously we, you know, came in, we had spring balls. It was Craig and I going through practice and battling out in the spring and all that stuff. So our first couple of games, Craig a couple of times audibled an old offensive play, like from Jimmy's time, you know, and, Hey, our offensive line, there were juniors and seniors. So they, they knew, they knew the protection, but you know, obviously, you know, kind of a mistake and maybe it was Craig. Hey, I, I know the, that offense more and there's things I like there and, and this, me, I was a fresh canvas. I didn't, you know, I knew what they did before in a two-back offense, but I didn't know the offense. So I came in, I was like, all right, there's one back, and okay, this is what we're going to do. If, you, if they do this, you do this. And just, you know, that's all I learned and all I knew at the time. So when Craig got hurt and I came out and we won Michigan State, we smoked Cincinnati like 56 to nothing. I had like three touchdowns in the first half. For second start, I broke the school record for passing through for 468 against uh, San Jose State. And the next game, East Carolina, Craig, Craig came back. We split time and they ended up starting, but I think it took Craig to watch to see, okay, if you just operate the offense exactly how he's teaching it, you know, just, it, it was, a, it was a lot more simple. The one back scheme that we were running than what Jimmy and, and, and Gary were running. I mean, there was a lot more protections. I mean, finding an NFL scheme and having 70 yards a week to prepare, but, in college especially nowadays I'd probably say that's why quarterbacks can get on the field faster is you know they simplified as much and I think it was it was simple and it took me having success for Craig to kind of not push against the offense and to learn it and be more comfortable in running the offense and I and I think that but a lot of it had to do I mean meeting with coach Erickson I mean I had a great relationship with him I mean we would we would battle at times definitely on the field I mean he would he would get emotional. I was less, emo- I wouldn't get emotional on the field, but I got emotional back if he kind of, you know, I, I mean, I can still remember if I threw a pick or, you know, something obviously it's bad. I mean, you don't want to throw a pick and, you, you know, you feel crappy about it. You know, you just gave the ball to the other team. <laughs> but I can remember I would just walk by Coach Erickson, go sit on the bench. And, I, and Lamar and all those guys, And you could ask, they would be like, Gino, Gino, coach is young for you. I go, I know. When he calms down, he can come over here and we can discuss what happens. But there's, you know what I mean? You can't make good decisions emotionally. And, and I think that, I, you know, hey, there's a lot of pressure on the head coach. And I just, I got nothing. I'll go sit on the bench. When you calm down, we'll work it out. And we, I mean, it, it, you know, it can be probably the, probably, I mean, nowadays you would see it. Florida State game, wide right one. And I'll give you an instance. We, they come down to the blitz and they were beating the hell out of us. Up front, we couldn't block them, um, had no time to throw. I mean, it was just kind of rock them, sock them. I mean, you know, McGuire had a big game, but we couldn't, you know, we, we weren't throwing the ball with success at all. And we had a play called. I called timeout because they'd come down in the front. I couldn't audible. Called timeout, come to the sidelines. I go back out there. <laughs> we call a play. I start going through my cadence. They come down at another blitz. I knew we didn't have it blocked. I looked up. There wasn't enough time to audible. There's like two seconds off the, on the play clock. I get up, call timeout. Well, you know as well as I do how upset coaches are and fans when you call timeouts and you haven't run a play. And I remember Coach Erickson screaming at me on the sidelines. And I came right back at him. And, you know, obviously I can't say what I said, but I pointed to the 25-second clock. And I go, I didn't have enough time to change the play. And by the time I walked from the hash to the sidelines, pat me on the head, good job. And we went out, you know, finished the drive and, and and won the game. You know, I had a great relationship, but a lot of that was me being in meetings. I mean, he was in every one of my meetings, you know, and so there was no disconnect for what the head coach wanted to do and the offensive coordinator because – he was the one sending sending us the plays and kind of going back and forth with either Coach Brad or Coach Olson on what we wanted to run offensively.
0: So you were a blank campus. Were you an instant believer? Like were you like, oh man, this is I like this three wide, four wide, five wide. Our speed versus anyone else. I no one's really seen this. Like yeah, this this will work. I was thirteen to sixteen in the first half against Cincinnati for three hundred and three touchdowns. We're up forty
1: two nothing and out. I was like. I'm in. I mean, like, <laughs> heck, I'm I'm in. And then breaking the school. I seriously, Josh, I mean, when I broke the school record for passing, I, I seriously thought to myself, I'm like, man, you beat Kozar's record, Walsh, Kelly, Tess, all these guys. You threw more in your second start. I'm like, man, I thought I had this game whipped. I was like, this is this is easy stuff. So, uh, yeah, I was all in a believer. And I was a believer, too, but because, you know. Listen, the quarterback's only as good as the other 10 guys around him on offense, and and we had a bunch of bunch of studs on offense.
0: How do you think Dennis should be remembered? I know Because I, I, I feel like a lot of times we talk about coaches at Miami, Jimmy's, you know, Howard, and rightfully so, Jimmy. And Dennis sometimes gets glossed over, even though, you know, you mentioned his record before, and he's, he's got two titles. I, I would say he should be remembered as the most successful Miami Hurricane coach in the history,
1: which he is the most successful hu- Hurricane coach in history. I think his, his winning record is the best. Uh, He won two national championships. Like I say, when I was here, I thought we should have played for five championships. We won two lost one my last year, but uh, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, what he did at that time, I don't think there's any question he should be remembered, you know, at that level or above. And I think that, you know, Jimmy and Howard were, you know, listen, they know how hard it is to win a national championship and, and to do it two times I would fully expect them to, you know, consider Coach Erickson, their peer, as success here.
0: When you think of great football and baseball, you think about the you. When you get hurt in a car, truck, or motorcycle wreck, you need to think Labovic
1: Law Group. At Lobovic Law Group, you come first. We work to get you all the money
0: you are entitled to. Injured? You need to call or click Lobovic. Lobovic Law Group, the exclusive sponsor of the Miami Hurricanes. And proud sponsor of all things you go you. Do I have this right? Was your third or fourth start? Did you start on the road at FSU? So that would have been,
1: yeah, that would have been my third. Correct, that would have been my third start, third start. All
0: right, so could we maybe yeah. maybe had a little stomach gurgles going on there? Maybe not a full wash, but like no, at night, I, tally. You know, no, you were good.
1: Well, first off, since 1988, I'd never been in the Orange Bowl. 1989, I'd never been in Doug Campbell. So I didn't, you know what I mean? I'd go into a, a visiting stadiums. So it was whatever. It's a, it was, you know a stadium. I didn't, I didn't, uh, you know, I I don't think I really got maybe the adversarial nature of the tradition of and the rivalry of, of Florida state.
0: How many hits did it take until you got
1: it? Uh, well, I, you know, in normal Toretta fashion, I threw a pick on my first play of Michigan state. I think I threw a pick on my first play of, uh, of the Florida state game in in 89 You walked uh, right past them. You know, (laughs) (laughs) it was, it was, it was a dumb play. Yeah. Well, first off, we went deep, but we went, sent four verticals the first play and I'm like, okay, but I got pressured. I flushed out and I tried to force it to uh, Wesley Carroll down the middle of the field and forcing the ball down the middle of the field is never a good idea. So I came to the sidelines at all. I said, I made a mistake. And I was like, all right. So, you know, we come back. I proceed to throw three more. We're, I was four picks in and we're 10 sc- score tied 10, 10, but there wasn't a point in time of that, that I was like, I wasn't, still going to be aggressive, run the offense. Hey, if they made some plays, they made some plays and, and, and and that is what it is. And we got the ball start of the second half. We made some adjustments, marched right down the field. We get inside the one yard line, hand the ball off to Shannon Crowell tries to jump over the top and he throws the ball as he's jumping. They recovered on the one, I think a 50 yard pass play, the next play and they went 99 and scored. We ended up never catching them. They ended up winning 24 to 10, but I didn't make any more. I didn't throw any more picks in the second half. It was, it was, uh, I learned more. So, and I knew, I mean, listen, my brother, every week preparation, Hey, treat that ball like gold, treat that ball like gold. And you learn, you know, you learn more from your mistakes. I mean, till the Alabama game, that was my only loss as a, as a starting quarterback was Florida state. So, you know, I, you learn of how judicious to be with the ball. Unfortunately, we lost that one. We ended up winning the championship and uh, that that season. But yeah, that was a glaring memory. But it was it was made up for ninety one wide right one. It was pretty fun revenge in uh, in ninety one on, for that. So, one. what are you
0: thinking in ninety two when it happens again?
1: Are you like, what's going on here? Wide right two. Yeah. Oh God, I, I can remember thinking, no, I wasn't even worried about that because that was that kick was for the tie. So I didn't care. I was like, okay, whatever. If they tie us, literally, I was like, we'll play them in the national championship game. We'll play them again. We'll beat them. That was that was kind of my thinking. But I wasn't even worried about it. they make it. They make it. It was a tie. But I can remember that game because I never watched our defense. I never watched the game at all. I was like, and maybe that was from Gary Stevens. You know, we had the phone over there on the bench in the Orange Bowl and you'd call upstairs and all right, this is what we're going to run. This is what I saw and getting prepared for the next drive. So I went sat down on the bench at the start of the game. And I can just remember the kick when a ball kicks by, and I, kind of, you know, kind of like this. and I, You can just see feet under feet, you know. And when Vanover went, you know, whatever, 98, 100 yards, and I was like, damn, this game is tough enough as it is. We just spotted them seven points, and now we got to come back from that. That's kind of what I thought. I remember thinking that, and at the end of the game thinking, whatever, it's for a tie. I don't really care. You know, if they tie, we'll,
0: we'll kick their – in the bowl game and and win a championship, whatever. <laughs> yeah. As we as we went to the, the start of that season, I know this because I lived it, but I didn't connect the dots. What was it like to deal with Hurricane Andrew? You're a northern cowboy. Cal- oh, You're a northern cow guy. You probably had no clue, and now that you know what you know, be, being a South Floridian for all this time, I can only imagine looking back at that, going, "Whatever you did, it probably wasn't good." <laughs>
1: Get the hell out of town. That's what I would say that I've learned from Hurricane Andrew. I still remember. I mean, I was living in the Grove, and my girlfriend who was dating I was my wife she said we're in the middle of two days well you know in the middle of two days it's like practice come home sleep practice come home sleep so you don't turn on the tv or anything and I still remember and I said you know and she goes well, what do, what's your guys's plan for the hurricane and I was like what are you talking about and she goes there's a huge storm CNN says there's a significant chance that it's gonna hit Miami if it doesn't turn And I was like really so I turn on the news and then I see that and I was like, wow. So I call the trainer, I call Annie Clary and I'm like, Hey, what's our plan? I'm like, I'm living in the grove. I'm like on the water. I'm like, dude, they're saying like 15 you know, foot seawall. I'm like, we're going to be underwater. You know, I'm like, we got to have a plan here. We're trying to get ready for camp we're, what are we doing? And, and I still remember him saying, Well, we got to just see if it's just a little high winds. I'm like, (laughs) I'm scratching my head, Josh going, you know, I'm not a meteorologist, but Brian Norcross, you know, unfortunately he's world famous now because of that storm and preparing us. But when that guy's saying 250 mile an hour winds and people will die in South Florida, I go, this isn't just high winds. And I can remember then I called coach Arnold and I said, coach, same thing. And they were like, "Well, I guess we just gotta batten down the hatches." Like,
0: what a great coach line for a Hurricane. Yeah, we just gotta batten
1: down the hatches. <laughs> so I, so I'm like, I'm like, okay, Coach. I live on the water. I'm like, do I put stuff in my car and bring it to practice, and then we're just driving somewhere, or what are we doing? So we were supposed to have a scrimmage Saturday, supposed to hit that night, three or four in the morning, right? So later, later that day, and there was. You know, when we used to scrimmage at Green Tree, and there was the the trailers with the snow cones. You know, because the fans came out and watched us. There was all that stuff. All that stuff was on our practice field. We came into practice Saturday morning, and I can remember. them finally, now those coaches listen. They're from northwest of the U.S. They never, they didn't know. They didn't know what a hurricane was, and so I called. We called a team meeting. And we said, okay, scrimmage is canceled. And I was like, wow, thanks, Captain Obvious. <laughs> we're not going to scrimmage. There's a, there's a hurricane barreling down at us. And, you know, practice is canceled. See you on Tuesday. And I was like, what do you mean see us on Tuesday? Where are we going? Basically, it was like every man for himself. And it was like we were leaving the Hex Center you know, I'm like, hey, we need ice. I, like, I grab one of the Gatorade containers. I'm filling it in the ice bucket. I'm taking like powdered Gatorade. It was like, you know, uh, you know, pure pandemonium. It, it like leaving the hex center and got. I'm like, well, what are we doing? And I was like, one of my roommates from Palm Beach. I'm like, help! I'm not. I don't want to be here. Let's go to your parents' house. So we literally got in a car, and you know, me and two roommates. We drove to Palm Beach. I mean, Barrow went to Homestead where it hit. I mean, uh, you know, I, I can remember the coaches, they just went to their houses in Pinecrest and I can remember being in Palm beach and there was really nothing. I'm like, okay, well, hopefully we dodged a bullet, you know, not really knowing. I mean, hell, it, you know, you don't know a hurricane's going to hit. Basically you have what you have on and that's kind of it. If the, if the storm destroys your place and I can remember coming back into town from Palm beach, you know, and driving in. And I was like, there was multiple boats on Bay shore like they were driving down the road as cars. There was boats that were like their sail masts were leaning up against streetlights, like they were stopped at the intersection. It was where I learned why there are cement road signs in South Florida, because you could be driving down US 1. I mean, the National Guard was all over. You couldn't really get to campus yet. to show your IDs, hey, I'm going. And I mean, I, I can remember Grand Avenue and US 1, and going, wait a sec, this is Grand Avenue on US 1, isn't it? And and the only thing you knew were those cement blocks on the on the side of the road of going, okay, this is Grand, this is the street. I mean, you, you it was completely unrecognizable as, as a community and our community coming to town, I'm like, all right, what are we doing now? And, it missed, you know, you miss three days in the middle of two days that we're thinking like, man, we're way behind. We just won the national championship. And, you know, we got a game, you know, I was a top 25 team. We're going to go on the road. We're missing practice. And basically they said, get enough stuff. Basically we're going to NFL training camp. We're going to Vero beach. And we're going to practice on the Dodger town baseball fields. And we went up to to Vero beach and uh, started off our season. And then kind of, it was, you know, the community came behind us. God, I can remember the, you know, there was the student section in the in the open and the orange bowl and the entire section next to it was our National Guard members that were working the you know working down here for the community and trying to help with the cleanup. But it was just you know got our coaches not only had their houses destroyed, our you know my teammates had their houses destroyed. And this you know still that storm what was it, a couple of years ago was supposed to hit right here, and we kind of got a glancing blow. I mean, I was scared to death. And I was sitting there thinking like, man, I went through Hurricane Andrew and never felt like this, and that was like way worse. But I I guess with age comes uh, some wiseness of exactly the risk of, of what the hell is, you know, barreling down at you. So that was kind of the, the start of our season. And it was, I think, the rallying point of the whole community. I mean, the whole community was behind us, whether you were Gators or Seminoles down here living. I mean, everybody, we, we were the, the one day reprieve of having to clean up the, the mess that, uh, that the storm had just destroyed the city. Join us at Gulfstream Park this spring with live action Thursday through Sunday. Enjoy entertainment outdoors at the Carousel Club or feast in Ten Palms. Not hungry? Visit our many on-site shopping locations from fashion stores to home furnishings. For schedules, reservations, and tickets, visit GulfstreamPark.com.
0: How much did you guys talk or discuss, desire winning another one? Was that a topic of conversation or it's just, no, we're just going back to play another season and that's kind of the end result. Cause that's what we do. Or was it like, no, let's do back to back. Let's get this. I don't, we never talked back to back. We never like, Hey, let's go You know, back for another season.
1: I think like in December of, of 91 or January 91, I think, you know, a couple guys that flirted with going pro Lamar had talked about leaving school early and then, you know, nobody ended up leaving. And the only thing I remember I remember summer workouts and every workout from then we said thirty and zero, when at the end of every practice. And if we would have finished out the season undefeated, we would have won thirty games in a row. And that was that was all from Coach Roll, our strength coach, because he was like, "Okay, we just won twelve. We had won, you know, we'd won the last six games in in ninety when we smoked Texas in the Cotton Bowl, and it was basically it was just one at a time. Thirty and zero. That was our goal. It wasn't, hey, we're going to win back to back. We're going to, you know, we're we're creating or part of a dynasty was man we were just one at a time and we knew if we took care of business we we'd have 130 in a row and it'd be a pretty good run our last uh for you know especially for the for the senior class so what burns you most about the sugar bowl what's the one that like it just sits in your craw you know it's going to that game and i can remember as we prepare for it i'm like man they're damn good you know, I can remember seeing their personnel on this and, you know, and just seeing people were like, Oh, we're, yeah." You know, I mean, we were almost two touchdown favorites into this game. And I'm just like, okay, you don't get to a national championship where you're a two touchdown favorite. Now I will say this going to Nebraska felt completely different. Cause I was like, they've never seen the one back offense. Like we're going we're to put on them. But I knew watching, watching the Gator offense, which with Spurriers kind of started running that with Shane and, and that I'm like, man, these guys got some players. And oh, it ends up being what they have, four or five guys going the top three rounds. They had two top ten picks on the, on the defensive front that we couldn't block. I, I just think it was a situation we started out and it wasn't a good start. I think we turned the ball over a couple, you know, Mara fumbled a ball or something, and I threw, you know, a pick or two, and we couldn't have that. We had to play, you know. I think everybody was thinking they had to play their best game. I think we had to play our best game. In, in that. And, and we didn't play our, our best game offensively. I think we thought we, we made some great plays, but it was almost like we'd make great plays and we'd get down and then we'd make a stupid mistake and turn the ball over. And, you know, it was kind of things like that. And just, and it just killed us. And then I, our defense probably got tired. I mean, I think they had 300 yards rushing on us by at, at that point in time, you know, and it was just, you know, I remember thinking, you know, I'd been in that sh- sugar bowl three times. I mean, it was there in Tennessee when they, you know, when they beat us and then that probably had a chance for a title there, the 89 game against Bama and then the 92 game against Bama. I mean, it's, it's an unfair environment for anybody, but the SEC team. And, uh, you know, you, you learn about the, the history of Alabama football real, real fast when you, uh, you know, when you lose to them, they forget their history when you beat them. But uh, I just think it was just, we, we didn't play our best game. And that's like, to me watching a championship game, like I always root for these kids. I hope they have their best game. Whoever, you know, whoever wins wins. I just hope they have their best game. And it's not like, Hey, well, you guys played like, you know what, or you, or you particularly played like, you know what else you'd won the game. Now I could have played better. I think, you know, and I I think I could have played great. I'm not sure we would have won the game because they were, they were that good. And I think if you look back, it's like, what were the people thinking of, of, you know, saying, Hey, we were going to just destroy them because what what we were what we you know the amount of draft picks we had and we had draft picks was not anywhere near what they had on their team Uh, how many words you win that year i don't i lost track like every award 10 every one every one that i was eligible for do you have the trophies i do have actually i have my heisman the rest of them are at my mom's house and i should and i should should get them but
0: yes who was i talking about that someone else on this podcast oh dan morgan same thing i can't remember what trophy he has one trophy and everyone else is with his mom and dad. Like, he's like, I don't know where they are. I probably need to find them. Oh, they're, no, they're at my, you know, my mom's got them. I mean, they were,
1: they were displayed when, you know, when, when I won them all and and that, but like the, the Davey O'Brien, Johnny Unitas, uh, Maxwell, Walter Camp. The first one I won was the Walter Camp. You know, the, the Walter Camp people came down and, and announced it in, in Coral Gables in the, in the team meeting room. The season was over, obviously, you know, we hadn't played the bowl game, but the season was over and that was kind of the first you know guys would give me grief about hey you're gonna win the Heisman obviously you don't know and hey it's you know whatever you're going through the season just trying to do what you can and I remember when I won that award and one of the Walter Camp representatives said you realize that you know the guy that wins this award like 99.9 percent of the time has won the Heisman Trophy and I was like really it's like Okay. So I guess that improves my chances, you know. And, and, and at that kind of at that point, I realized I was like, wow, this could be, you know, I, I, I couldn't do anything at that point. I was done, done playing the regular season, but that was where I thought, I was like, wow, this is, this is awesome. And, and, and you know, it's just credit to, you know, my teammates and, and uh, guys that, you know, guys I play with on both sides of the ball. I mean, hell, our defense only gave up, you know, less than 10 points a game that year. We struggled. Hell, we beat Arizona 8 7 you know, in a in a in a game. I was like, I mean, wait, was that right? That I you know?
0: had to like look at this look at the box score and be like, is that a typo? No, that's right.
1: It was extra in it. it was extra innings, Josh. I mean we had to we had to bring in a reliever to to to, to close it. So uh yeah, they missed like a fifty two yarder that uh, that would have beaten us in the in the middle of that streak. But yeah, those are those are all obviously the awards are all great memories, but you know, the best memories of the, you know, guys and my teammates that, you know, the young guys like SAP and, you know, helping them win a championship or the guys I came into school with five years earlier, Spencer and Lamar and, and Mario Cristobal and Michael Barrow, Darren Smith, Armstead, all those guys that we came into school together and knowing how much, you know, how much, how hard we worked out on the practice field to, to have that success and and be rewarded at the end of it.
0: So I'll know, I know this, you know, this generationally, I'm not sure how many people know this. I think you're going to laugh when I ask it. I want you to tell me the first thing that went through your head when you saw the Ruthless Posse poster. was it, was which one was that the track one No this is the one or I the, saw the, the one in, on the horses I think Okay so
1: I don't know if they ever made a poster with oh, that Oh there's an image, um, it. I, there an image of
0: it I know there's an image of it floating around yes, the internet Yes, that was that
1: was where Hanky's
0: hankies around the neck cowboy hats on they, they took
1: my receivers yeah they took Lamar Kevin Williams uh Darrell Spencer and Horace Copeland put them on horses and and they were already they had nicknamed themselves the Ruthless Posse so I don't think they ever made a poster. I think they were kind of testing that with probably Coach Erickson. And then, you know, I can remember, I think before the season, that was when we came out with the fast track football. So I was like, what are we doing here? So I went out there. I don't even know if I took a picture with them at the same time, but it was they got down in their full uniforms in, in the, on the track out of Green Tree, got down in sprinter stances, and they took a shot overhead of the of you know my four guys, you know, my four whiteouts. And then I went out there and they're like, all right, pretend you're gonna throw it. Well, you know, when you you have a pretend picture, I had no pads in my pants. You know what I mean? It, it looks horrible when you put on a uniform and you got you got no pads in your pants. But I had no pads in my pants, I had shoulder pads on and a helmet. But I still have people to this day who are like, man, that's my favorite poster, of the fast track football. And I just remember signing him in Myrna's office all the time for people. But, uh, yeah, they never made the ruthless posse in the, into a poster. I think that was probably a little, little, uh, little too much, even
0: for uh, even for for uh, UM and Cochi, e, I guess. Everyone that knows Lamar knows what Lamar's like. So I don't want to talk about Lamar. What was Horace like? What was Kevin like? We know Lamar liked to talk. You know, he's the extrovert. What were the other guys like?
1: Spence played before any of us. Spence didn't redshirt. He was a punt returner our true freshman year. And then he and then he tore up his knee. So so then he redshirted our second year. So Spence probably came in as the best or, or at least guy that contribute fastest. So under Jimmy, he was the only one of us that uh, that played. I probably had more classes academically with Spence. We were in the, in the business school. Very quiet, good people, Merritt Island, him and Randy Bethel and Coleman Bell, they were all they were all tight from and Hurley Brown, they were all tight. The Merritt Island boys. I used to always give them grief because Derek Brown, their tight end, who was six seven, six eight, went to Notre Dame, was all world first round pick. I'm like, Spence, come on, you you don't think we need a six seven tight end? You couldn't convince your boy to come to Miami and catch more than three passes a year at Notre Dame. <laughs> K dub was volatile. But unbelievable. So Kevin ran uh, a sub four three. Seen him run a four two eight. He had wide shoulders, and he was just mean. He was just a bulldog. Like if if a guy came up and tried to, you know, you were not gonna mess with Kevin physically, and I, off the field or on the field. And quicker than anybody. I mean his his feet. You know, and, and like I, I mentioned, the note, the uh, Nebraska game going in. And one of the reasons was, so we had gone to four wides from three. And so we had taken out the back and we had put, Daryl was on the left side, tight end was on the left, and K-Dub was now our first slot receiver. Well, seeing that personnel against Nebraska, Trev Alberts, who's a defensive end slash outside linebacker, they wouldn't play nickel or dime against, against the personnel. And I'm like, I can still remember watching film. I'm like, Coach, that guy runs like a four seven four eight. I get it. He's a good athlete, good defensive end. He, this guy's running four two eight. They can't cover him. We just keep throwing it to Kevin. And I can just remember Kevin. I mean, you watch it on the film, and he would just stutter step Trev Alberts and just like, boop, he'd ride around him. I just throw him the ball, throw him a touchdown in the, in the Orange Bowl. But he was physically gifted, the fastest, great hands, toughest, unbelievable, great punt returner. Horace, I like to say he has grasshopper legs. So Horace and Lamar tied at the Big East track meet. They both high jumped six seven. I think Horace high jumped close to seven feet in high school and triple jumped close to, I think, at a, a Olympic qualifying jump. And we used to always be like, Horace, what are you doing? Why aren't you going to track, dude? You, you qualify for the Olympics. Why are you messing around here on uh, on the football field? But. Just sheer speed in a hundred was unbelievable. Like you watch him run, and it's just, you know, when you watch, you watch Usain bolt run, and you're just like, Man, that's just pretty. I mean, I know I can't ever run that fast. That's <laughs> so just pretty. And, and you watch high C run and it was, it was that because his legs, I mean, he his legs were probably, you know, up to his chest. And it was just the long stride. Once he, he wasn't the fastest 40 guy. Now I say that and he still ran a four three but he would dust all those guys in a hundred because once he, once he got the rotation of those long legs and he worked like hell on his hand, but nice, I mean, I I'd, I'd go to battle with any one of those dudes. And if they called me right now, I'd, I'd be at their door. If they needed help, they were as good as you could get. And as teammates and, uh, and just, you know, love them all. But, but Heise, Heise was, uh, I, was physically, I guess all around fit, you know, track and all that stuff. He was, uh, he
0: was unbelievable. I'm John Davis, Secretary of the Florida Lottery, and I'm proud to lead an agency that is creating brighter futures for Florida's students, families, and communities. As the primary funding source of the Bright Future Scholarship Program, the lottery has helped nearly 1 million students reach their dream of a post-secondary education. And we will continue to do our part to ensure that every student across this state is aware of these opportunities and has the resources needed to succeed. Because together, we can build a brighter future for all. On the uh, roster, it says Sapp came in as a tight end. Is that true? Yes. Did he actually take any reps as a tight end as a, as a freshman player? So
1: I will say to this, Warren Sapp was the only player I played with in five years that could have started both ways for us. And there is no if, ands, or buts about that. So Warren came in, I think he was number 84. And let's say he was 250, 260 at the time. Ran a four eight. had some of the best hands on the team. And when I mean hands... He would be running across the field and they'd be working on the jugs machine with punt return drills. I mean, he'd catch the ball, punt, he'd catch the ball backwards. It didn't matter. I still to this day, I'm like, Warren, you could have started both ways. Basically, he was sat down by Coach Carmelowitz and Ed O'Geron. And he said, You know, that's cute. You can play tight end, you can be, you know, a pretty good player. Uh, we just had the first pick of the draft, Russell Maryland. And they were like, you can be that type of player, defensive tackle. And they convinced him. I mean, think about that. It convinced him, and he redshirted. They didn't even play. He redshirted as a freshman. I mean, we could he could have played tight end his true freshman year for us. There's, there, there's no doubt in my mind, and I still tell people that, because uh, you know people think, well, a receiver could have played DB, or DB could also play receiver. No, that dude could have played D tackle, and he could have played tight end for us. And he would have had success at both of those positions because when he was 280, 290, college, he was still running 4'8". I mean, he was he was an unbelievable athlete, great ball skills, smart, could get guys, you know, obviously he can, he can talk, he can get guys head. He wasn't emotional during a game, but man, he could get guys and he could get guys to make mistakes he could talk the talk and walk the walk that's what that's what i say but yeah he he could have played both ways and he was the only guy that i say at miami that, that could have done it when i was there
0: you Got any good brian forte stories
1: Ah, <laughs> oh, this is just nice 280 zx he had a nice car when he was here you know i i, I will say this is the battle for this for the quarterback was you know i can remember thinking so so think about this i threw for 1200 yards as a redshirt freshman we had won three i was three and one as a starting quarterback and went back to the bench for a whole season and i'm like you know in today's day and age i would have probably left you know i would have been like okay i've shown what i can do in division one level what school wants me i'll i'll go you know i didn't want to sit i was like man i, I i'm good enough to play if i can play at miami i can play anywhere in the country but anyway so you know sit the bench we recruit forte and uh you know, he comes in, and I don't know what he's told. He's promised he can start or, or whatever. I'm like, I, I've never really considered. I was like, whatever. These guys come after me. I'm, They're going to be sitting on the bench until I'm done. I can remember going through the, the summer and what the media was building up. And, I mean, Josh, I can remember throwing at least 400 passes a day. And when you throw 400 passes a day, my the tips of my fingers were bleeding during practice. Like I literally used to have to take tape and put it and it's terrible. Cause when you put tape at the end of your fingers, you can't really feel the ball. You can't feel it come off. So, you know, it's not the greatest thing in the world. And I can remember Eddie Gran was our GA. And I remember, I mean, like coming, you know, just sitting there and wearing warmups. I'm like, dude, like coach Erickson's like, this is an open battle. I'm like, I get competition, but I'm like, dude, I already had success here. I already set the school record for passing. How, how is this? I'm, I'm on equal playing field with a kid that's out of high school has never played. Eddie Grant talked me down off the ledge a lot in practice. He's like, don't worry. He goes, I know what's being said behind closed doors because what was being said in the open doors was more of so Brian wouldn't transfer because, you know, you don't want to go into the start of the season. Hey, we got a starting quarterback is Gino? And Frank Costa is just here out of high school. Now he's all of a sudden going to be the backup. That's what Coach Erickson was thinking going in, you know, at least through the summer. And uh, so they didn't name the starter. Heck, it was, might've been 10 days from the start of uh, the first game. It was, it was long enough. Let me put it this way. It was long enough for me to barely get some calluses on the tips of my fingers and not have to take my fingers up for, uh, for practice anymore.
0: You also played with some interesting dudes, Rohan Marley. (laughs) i might i only got two but i of course dwayne johnson maybe you got more but like hey, here we go see fun fun zoom moments
1: my my german shepherd sage wants to wants to join in she loves she loves the interview oh She'll yeah sit here yeah. at attention will she barked she barked
0: rohan marley interesting <laughs> oh, or not?
1: Woo! love 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 rohan love rohan i'll give you my rohan marley story so we were a summer of uh you know, start of, you know, training camp. Let me just interject. because I went to high school with Ron. I imagine the first time you saw him, you were probably like, really? No, I'll tell you the first time I saw him, because I didn't know who he was. So we have uh, summer practice. Well, back then, the, the veterans didn't show up. The freshmen had been there five days. They would already gotten the hell beat out of them. They'd been run into the ground, and all of a sudden, the veterans come in for practice. I think we was called 960 was the dining hall close to the off the intramural fields because our training table was closed during the summer. It was only open once all the students got back, so we got to use 960 was our dining hall. So we show up in the middle of the day. I think they had had morning practice. The freshmen, we were supposed to come in for afternoon practice. So go through the mess hall. I'm sitting there kid walks in and he's got a big brick phone the f- like the first cell phones made and he's like sitting there blah blah talking on the phone and i'm just like wow that's interesting okay so then i you know go through the line and then like sit down we're just bsing before going out going over to the watch film and just start afternoon practice then all of a sudden all these other guys are using the phone and i'm like Man, I, I, I so I was like, so I'm like, man, I think cell phones back then were like 52 cents a minute. I'm like, damn, that phone bill is gonna be pricey. Who the hell's paying that bill? Who is that? And they're like, that's Rohan Marley. I go, who's Rohan Marley? He goes, they're like, you ever heard of Bob Marley? And I'm like, yeah, that's his son. And I was like, oh, okay. And then Coach Arnold, who was our, you know, my tight, who recruited me at a high school, our tight ends coach, special team coach, you know, and and he goes. When Rohan Marley came to football camp at the and he stayed on campus. Now he's a Miami kid. He stays on campus for football camp. He checked in with like a 60-inch TV screen. Now this was back when, you know, those big old TVs, right. how heavy they were. He checks in with like 60-inch TV, a Sega game set. You know what I mean? And he was like partying with the boys, all this stuff. And I was just like, I was dying laughing. I go, I just shaking my head. And then, you know, he comes in nice, I mean, hard hard worker you know i don't want to say he overachieved he achieved for you know he was five nine he played like he was six four i mean he he had just pure disregard for himself and his opponent's body and just i mean he was until you, he was knocked out and out of a game he was just a thousand miles an hour but i mean greatest guy in the world most generous he had a car he had you know a fast motorcycle. I mean, he had teammates that wrecked the motorcycle. I don't know. Some, some of them probably got in fender benders with the car. He would still, hey, you need a car here? Go ahead, go over to Wendy's and get a burger. You know, he was, he was one of the most generous people, and and uh, no, he's awesome, man. His his smile and his laugh. I mean, if you went to high school with him, I mean, all they do. He's always, if you're ever around him, you can't not be happy. I mean, he's awesome. When was the last time you seen Dwayne Johnson? Holy cow. I have not seen, probably personally, I, heck, I don't know if I've seen him since I left college, maybe 94 when he left, 95, um, years and years ago, I haven't I haven't seen him, when Coach Roll was at, with the Dolphins, and he was still living, I think, in Fort Lauderdale, that was like when his acting career was really starting to take off, he would still go and like work out with the Dolphins, on the Dolphins, at the Dolphins facility and stuff, but I haven't seen him, gotten in uh, in years. So when I said interesting dudes, you laughed. So was this, did someone else come to mind? I, I mean, there's probably stories about everybody. I mean, I you know I think we we're all we we're all pretty interesting. I mean, to come from a diverse a background as as we all came through and to come together like we were brothers and still be brothers to this day. You know, I I think that, uh, you know, that's that's a credit to our coaches. That's a credit to, you know, all of us that, uh, you know, man, when we were in that locker room, we were we were one. I mean, we were confident we were going to kick everybody when we played them. But we all, you know, probably we all had our had our own stories and and that. But we we were, you know, I mean, from Armstead, you know, I remember watching Jesse in, in high school. So I was a year in front of him. And, you know, he came out of Dallas, was an all-world recruit. And I it was a big deal. He had to have number one. And I'm like, who the hell is this kid? You know what I mean? He's going to come in here and dictate what number he gets. I mean, you get what you get when you come to come to Miami. And got our him Locker the first time. He had, like, about a 25-inch waist and a 50-inch chest. And I was like, damn, that dude runs a 440s playing linebacker? I was like, holy crap. <laughs> but, you know, still to this day, Wesley, he will still admit to this day, the only guy he couldn't cover, including the pros, was Wesley Carroll in the slot when he was here. And Jesse made a lot of money covering guys in the slot. And I still tell Jesse or uh, tell Wesley Carroll this day, I'm like, Wesley, you were, you were 15, 20 years too early. Because I was back when they had the two-back offense and the, and the pros, they didn't run a slot wide out. You know, one of those little scat guys, Wes Welker, or those guys catching – 150 balls a year I mean Wesley Wesley would have done that with his, with his eyes closed but I, I mean I we can go we can go down the list I mean Daryl Williams one of the quietest guys in practice and he was one guy let me put it this way he beat me more than I beat him and I mean I I just would swear I'm like all right 31's on a hash and I'd see him I'm like man I'm gonna look off Daryl Williams I'm gonna fire a bullet down the sidelines He'd get there and break it up. He wouldn't pick it off, but he wouldn't let it be complete. And I'm like, how? And You know what I mean? It was kind of at that point where you're watching guys play and playing against them going, okay, this is what a first-round safety looks like. This is what an all-pro safety looks like is a guy that you you really, I mean, even throwing a perfect pass, he may make the perfect play and, and knock it down. So, you know, but all those guys, I mean, working out with Michael Irvin when he was holding out and just, you know, seeing – the, i mean here's a guy that already made millions to see the the competitive nature and and how hard he worked on a field and teaching that to to guys you know like me i mean I, i'd throw him routes three dbs covering him one at a time he kept running me the ball back on. to you' all i'm like dude all i'm doing is dropping back and throwing the ball you're the one running routes every time i'm like you're the one that's supposed to get tired not me you know i mean heck we can go down a list i mean alonzo and in college i mean obviously meeting him and 15 16 years old at Fiesta bowl jerome brown one of the nicest people you'd ever meet rest his soul but a lot of a lot of great memories a lot a of, lot, of, lot of stories but all uh, all good if they're bad
0: we can't tell them right all right gino man you've been great thank you so much i appreciate the time obviously it's always good seeing you buddy and uh i'm sure everyone will love listening to this thanks for doing it anytime josh all right buddy thank you sir